Welcome to The Art of Significance with your host, Hall of Fame speaker, New York Times bestselling author, university professor, gold record songwriter, and award-winning athlete, Dan Clark. Get ready for engaging discussions with some of the most influential people in the world who will impart their wisdom, stories, and inspiration on why and how to achieve the level beyond success. Now here's your host, Dan Clark. Welcome. Seems like the week goes by slow, and then it seems like it goes by fast. Again, I love to acknowledge the fact that it's an honor to be on what is called the Influencers Channel, with the free reign for me to have any invite any guest under the sun for any reason on my show to talk about how they use their talents, their abilities, their passion, their love of life, their their core values to influence the world to be a better better place. Today's show is dedicated exclusively to the significance of words and music. Instead of me pontificating about this or that, I just want to get right to my first guest. He's been on the show a couple of times before. I hope I don't diminish his reputation in the world by saying that he's a friend of mine, but I sure take a lot of pride in being friends with Jimmy Urey who's been writing songs in Nashville, Tennessee for 22 years. And my regret is that you can't see this handsome stud muffin hunk of burned love because he looks like he's 22 years old. So that's like, you know, tough to do the math. But after a short period in 2001 with Atlantic Records as an artist, Jimmy decided to focus all of his attention on songwriting. And I believe as you'll get to know him and his understand his life and what a complete human being he is, the songwriters influence the world more than the artists who sing them. And when they team up to, 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 to connect that music and that lyric and that passion and that, that, that um, amazing experience we call listening to music, they truly do influence the world. Jimmy has quickly become one of Nashville's most sought-after songwriters with eight top tens, five of which have reached number one. Some of his hits include Anywhere With You by Jake Owen, Till It's Gone by Kenny Chesney, and in 2014, the CMA and ACM Song of the Year, I Drive Your Truck, which is a tearjerker. It's a tribute to our men and women in uniform who are sacrificing sometimes their lives so that we can have shows like this and celebrate freedom. Jimmy is married to the beautiful and talented Sonia Isaacs, Yuri of the famous Isaacs. And uh, this little family of Jimmy and Sonia, they live in Henderson, Tennessee, with their two sons and new baby girl. Jimmy, how old's your new baby girl? Last time you were on the show, it's just like she was just barely brought into the world. She's got to be like 25 now, right? <laughs> she is a year and a half, and uh, he is uh, apparently going to be a, a marathon runner because she just takes off in this house, and I just... <laughs> He can about outrun me at a, at, a, at a year and a half. <laughs> That's funny. So it's not. She's, uh, it's but not, she's awesome. It's not just good enough for you to own your own shotgun. Now you got to you got to put like a special forces <laughs> green beret on retainer who can pick off the dude at a thousand yards, man. Because she'll be gone, <laughs> baby. So okay, let's just get so right into it, brother. So two things I want to talk about today: your song that you uh, that you performed the last time you were on the show, which is "It's Going to Be All Right." It started on the charts. For those of you who, are under, who do not understand the music business, when it hits the charts and it, and it hits Billboard with what we call a bullet, 
that means it's climbing, it's getting some support, it's getting some radio play, it's getting a fan base. And do you remember, Jimmy, what number it was on the charts when you first aired it? It was so exciting. And you know when you hear a hit song, you know it. But now, tell me what number it was when it hit the charts, and now let's celebrate its number one status in the last couple of weeks. Yeah, you know, it hit the chart. I think when we talked last, it was somewhere around 32. I believe that's correct. And we were all just just jumping up and down because, again, this is David Lee Murphy who hasn't had a – this is only his second number one, and, and he hasn't had a single in, I believe, 14 years. And so by all accounts, David Lee Murphy was, um, was not going to be having any hits uh, again. I don't believe he really anticipated that. Any of us did. We just – we write together. He's a great writer. He's had a, a bunch of number ones. And so that was our intent when we wrote this song, was really just to uh, focus on Kenny Chesney, which we do when we write together a lot. We hoped that maybe Kenny would do this song, Everything's Gonna Be All Right. And in fact, Kenny almost cut the song, and the day of, he called for a lyric, and when an artist calls for the lyric to a song, it's usually because they want to be able to read it so they can record it. So we were all excited, but for whatever reason, Kenny didn't cut it, didn't record the song, but subsequently, about a year later, about a year ago, David reached out to me and said that Kenny wanted to do a record on him and try to get him back on radio, and and so he said he wanted to cut this song and try it, and then and then later Kenny decided he wanted to be a part of it. He wanted to sing with him on it and make it a duet, and the next thing you know, it's going to be the first single, and I'm still, as much as I love David, I mean, I, I, I can't help but just go, well, he's, you know, I wonder how radio is going to accept this guy who hasn't been around in uh, 14 years. And plus, he's not a, he's not, a, you know, a, a young chick. I mean, he's, uh, he's, uh, he's up there. And, uh, but, man, it's just, people just love this message. They love the song. They love what it says. And, you know, we feel everything I write. I do not finish songs or set out to write songs if I don't feel them. Um, a great deal because I know if I don't feel it, other people aren't going to feel it. So we really felt this song. Imagine a guy who's just down on his luck, went into a little bar, sat there just kind of down, and uh, and a woman behind the bar says, hey, points at the wall, there's a sign up there, says everything's going to be all right. And we rode it around that and felt every bit of it. And so it's just, it's, it's just incredible what it's done. It was number one it's- about three weeks ago. It's so good. So listeners, I didn't want to take the precious time talking to Jimmy by singing, by performing the three minute, 40 second song. So I'm challenging every listener to immediately go to iTunes and download, download it. That's David Lee Murphy, Kenny Chesney. Everything's going to be all right. Download it. And maybe you do it right now while we're still listening to Jimmy on the radio, but it'll make it more meaningful now that you've heard the, the gent who, uh, who co-wrote this. Jimmy, I, I love what you just said. You you have to feel, you have to feel the message. Uh, we're not going to play any of your music today. Again, I want you to to listeners to 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 go to iTunes and download. Let's quickly talk about I Drive Your Truck. We talked about yes. that on the air. We performed it in the air. I've flown you uh, to a couple of corporate gigs just to perform that one song, as you know. And uh, just share with the listeners again how you came across this message and why you feel so deeply about the message. Well, um, 
Connie Harrington, a co-writer on this song, called me one day. She had heard an interview uh, by a, a man by the name of Paul Monty, and Paul had lost his son, Jared Monty, in Afghanistan and uh, on his third attempt to save members of his battalion, one of which was his dear friend, he was killed. And so they interviewed the father because the father was going around the country putting flags on graves of fallen soldiers on Memorial Day. Uh, uh, he just made sure that as many of them as possible, could, he made sure they had flags on them. So they interviewed him. They asked him how he coped with the loss of his such just a, such a wonderful son, which he was, and such a, a great American hero. And he said, I drive his truck. Um, it's, it's exactly the way it was when, when he left, and, and that's how I remember him. When I, when I want to feel as close to him as I possibly can, I just get in that truck. Uh, the radio station's still on the same station. The stuff's, same stuff in the floorboard, um, change in the ashtray. And so we just wrote his story and with uh, honestly no intention that anybody would would ever sing it. That was not, a lot of times I go in and I write these songs and I, I think about who might record it and I think about where it might end up on the charts and, and, and this and that, but, but not with this song whatsoever. We just went in with a, a great amount of emotion to draw from. We let that emotion steer us. Uh, again, if I feel it, you feel it. And we were able, had the luxury of really using that emotion to direct the song and we felt every, every syllable of it. And, and we were able to uh, tell his story, uh, Paul and, and Jared Monte's story, and ultimately able to, thank you, God, we were able to get up on stage at the CMAs and the ACMs and, and pay tribute to Jared and what he did for this country. So that's, uh, I can't imagine anything much greater than that in my, in my life that I've done. Well, <clears throat> one of the things that you probably seldom hear is... Uh, you know how much I volunteer my time for the military and speak on bases all over the world. And just yes. since I've talked to you last year, since you were in town with me, uh, I've been on three bases. Sit down, put on your seatbelt, bro. Because when I went into the mess hall in all three bases, and these are Air Force bases. These aren't Army bases. Over yeah. the PA system, during the lunch hour, they're playing I Drive Your Truck. And, yeah, and I'm like, you got, well, all these cats who are in harm's way or on their way or coming back from harm's way are listening to this song about paying tribute. And, and, and then you follow that up with everything's going to be all right, man, your influence is unbelievable, bro. You need to start your own freaking church, man. Come on, baby. <laughs> well, it's funny. You, yeah, it's funny you would say that. Uh, we're building a church here on the property. Uh, what a hoot! So that's what? A whole, whole other conversation, but yeah, we're yeah. in fact building a little church. For what purpose? Like we can come and worship on a Sunday and have a little sing along, have the Isaacs show up, and just do do our thing and and hear the word from from Yuri. Come all, on, baby, talk to us, man. All all of that. You know, initially, uh, long story short, it was a horse barn that we uh, bought into. It was in great shape, had a couple stalls in it. I bought a couple horses with a buddy who used to train them. We rode horses for about a year every other weekend, took care of the horses. It was a lot of, tr of, of work, honestly. But uh, one day he came up here and he rode one of the horses before I got home and he got off of her, this uh, mare, and he got kicked. And it broke his cheekbone and put him in the hospital a couple days. 
And I started thinking about my kids and being around horses, and these were some young, wild horses. I still love horses, but I decided I'm going to get rid of those horses, and I did. And then I'm like, what am I going to do? I was out there in my barn one evening thinking, what am I going to do with this barn? And at the same time, I just had a conversation with Sonia about wanting a prayer closet, wanting a place to go and just uh, talk to the kids if I want to, have a... family services if I wanted to, just some little chapel or something. And as I'm thinking about that, inside of that barn, I thought, well, my goodness, why not just get the uh, clean this thing up, get the stalls out, and and use some wood for my property and turn it into a, a church. So it now has a steeple with a donated bell in it. It has uh, a live edge cedar from my property all through the inside and outside of it. It's uh, cedar floors. It's uh, it's stage, everything. It is nearly comp- uh, Marty Stewart donated some uh, some 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 stuff, uh, some antiques for the church, some stained glass for the church. Yeah, actually, and, what you did is and, you framed one of one of Marty Stewart's jackets, and you just tell people it's a stained glass window. I know what's really going on. <laughs> that's, yeah, well, that's right. We, it's uh, it's uh, it's uh, but no, he. He's just, you know, he's such a, uh, he loves uh, old things. He loves uh, old churches, old music. And so he was just, when he heard about it, him and Connie uh, Smith came out, his wife, and, and yes. they, uh, they've been here a few times, and just, they just absolutely love it. So he, he, he had me some of his uh, old antique stained glass uh, mm, cut wow. for me to fit into our, uh, into our windows. So anyway, we have, once a month, we have family and friends come over, us. Ricky Skaggs, Allison Krause, the Cox family, Tim Menzies, Marty and Connie, of course, and the Isaacs, of course, and just a bunch of uh, other gospel singers, uh, the Crabs, and who, and just all of us get together. We we kind of talk about what what we're going through, and hey, uh, maybe maybe we might just pray for one another, and it's just a really neat fellowship and something we do once a month, and we're going to here in the next probably next month the church will be done, and we'll be able to take it out there. Well, uh, that's obviously not a surprise. How cool is that? And hopefully, you'll put me on your guest list because I need I, I need saving every chance I get, especially when I'm in the Nashville <laughs> area, brother. And remember, too, I can I can too. just sit there on the first bench, and you can say, you know, if God can save this guy, He can save anybody. I mean, what an inspirational <laughs> day that is! Right after, right out of the shoots. You see, yes, too amazing, brother. Okay, so one of the things that, that my listeners need to know about you is that you're not just an extraordinary songwriter, you're not just an extraordinary melodist and lyricist, you're an extraordinary husband, you're an extraordinary father. And uh, we talked about your two sons and your new baby girl the last time you were on the show. But I want to focus on something that all all men need to hear right now. I'm, I'm getting involved in in the, organiz- the organizing, and you're going to get a call, Jimmy. we got to we got to figure out a way to start galvanizing men and start talking about what it means to be a real man, what it means to be a father and a dad. You know, any male mm-hmm. can be a father, but it takes a special man to be a dad. And I think one of our responsibilities as men, as fathers, as equal partners with our spouses, with our wives, but one of our major roles, if you will, tasks, callings from God, if you will, is to do what the scriptures teach us, and that's to raise our children in a way so that when they're old, they will not depart from what they have been taught. 
And I, I reflect back on a conversation I had to have with my son when he turned 16. Of course, it's a dad's responsibility to talk to your son about the birds and the bees. But as crazy and as wild as you and I both are, I don't know if you're going to actually sit down knee to knee and look at your son's look at your son, both of your sons in the eyes and say, okay, let's talk about sex. I can't do that. So I rented a lighter truck and hopped in it. We went up to our lake house, two and a half hour drive. So I didn't have to look at my son. We were both looking out the windshield, having this talk about the birds and the bees. It was the best (laughs) thing I ever came up with because I didn't have to look at him while I did it. And right, so, as a, right. so as a songwriter and as an, as, a, as an amazing father, as a devoted family guy, you're just one of the great guys on our planet. Teach us about how you can use music, especially the lyric of a music, to teach, in this case, maybe your sons, one son particularly, or both sons, or your whole family, how you can teach them about what they need to know through music, which is such a powerful way for them to be taught by their dad, especially when they can play it and listen to the tune when you're not even around. So sure, talk to sure. you, have you, have you written a, a song question. just for your son? Have you written a song just for your kids for, for the purpose of, let me teach you what I think you need to know? Well, you know what? I, I have. I, you know, I've, I've attempted to write um, a few songs. I, again, I love to be emotional. If I could write, I'd drive your trucks every day. I probably would. I, I love to go to that place. Um, but I've got one song in particular that, that I wrote a few months ago, a couple months ago, and it's called He Don't Know That Yet. And, you know, you asked, do I have uh, songs that, that can help teach my son and um, principles that I've firmly believe in. One of those principles, Dan, is that I believe that that one of the greatest gifts I know I've, that I've ever received was if someone was broken and they expressed to me the specifics of their brokenness, um, maybe it's anxiety, maybe it's a, um, a depression, maybe it's a, a worry, a fear, and uh, a feeling like they're, they're the most uncool person in the room, whatever that might be. If I can relate to that, and they have, and, and, and I respect them uh, like someone like yourself, and they've expressed that to me, then that gives me a gift of not feeling alone. I think too many times we, we, we feel all alone and like we're the only ones feeling and going through what we're going through, unless we talk about it specifically, which few of us do. But I know that I've expressed that to my son, the importance of that, of being honest, of going deeper and really expressing and being vulnerable. And don't be afraid to be that because that could be the gift that someone else needs. And so there was the song, He Don't Know That Yet. Um, that was just a, a song about, I used to tell him how much I loved him. And, and I'd say, I'd say, Aiden, you just don't even know how much I love you, buddy. And I said, you will one day when you have kids. I said, I, did, I didn't realize really how much my daddy loved me until I had you. But, um, but one of these days, you're, you're going to understand completely how much I love you. But I wrote a song that, uh, that says that, and some of the lyric is like, uh, in the first verse it says, uh, He'll watch me drive a nail with a hammer in one hand Like I'm some kind of put two boards together Superman I'm just your average everyday Home Depot weekend guy at best But he don't know that yet And then this verse I love, uh, uh, sometimes I get home worn, slap out, and I barely kiss his mama. 
And I put balls in his hands, saying, come on, Dad, you promised. And we'll win them backyard Super Bowls with one tired quarterback. But he don't know that yet. And of course, That's he just, so he don't good. Know the, you know, he don't know life ain't nothing like it is on TV. When I say that'll hurt you, I can tell he don't believe me. And half the time, the man he thinks I am is scared to death. But he don't know that yet. So just that honesty, he loves me to sing that song to him. He knows how honest it is, it is to me, how important it is to me. And, and it's a treat for him to say, Daddy, sing me that song that you wrote for me. I love that so much. So have you decided to do what a lot of the songwriters are doing? You know, the Monty Pals, the Liz Roses, they're, they're branding themselves by you recording your own record, your own album with all of these classic songs that, are, that mean so much to just you in an intimate way? Sure, sure. I, um, I was approached this year uh, by, a, by a gentleman by the name of uh, Marshall Altman, and uh, he, uh, he records uh, a few big acts uh, in towns, uh, Frankie Ballard's, all the Frankie Ballard hits that have been out in the last few years. And he has uh, asked me for about a year and a half, will I do a record until, uh, and then a couple months ago, he, he asked me again. He just called me and said, man, please tell me we can do a record. And I said, you know what? Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's start figuring out the songs. And so we've been meeting um, every week and going over songs. And we're actually meeting next week to finalize what we're going to record. And we're going to go in in September and do a, a project together. And, and I'll do these songs that I love and songs that nobody's ever heard and that nobody else maybe would cut. But they are, they're incredibly special to me. I've got a song called The, the Devil Led Me to Jesus. Dan, that I that if I sung for you right now, I just I know you would just flip and love it and relate to it, and that's the kind of stuff I want to do. Uh, the kind of songs I want to do, songs that are real, songs that are vulnerable, songs that talk about some brokenness where I was and where I am today and how I got there, and who I give credit to, and those kind of songs really move people and uh, and and can change people's lives. Uh, and, and, and I just, I know that's what changed my life was, was, was people being honest and people that I respected, you know, sharing with me where they were and where they are and how they got there. So that's what, uh, that's a, something I'd love to give. <clears throat> that's a gift I love to give. Yeah. And count me in, man. I'll help in any way I possibly can. You know, as we wind down our time together, brother, one of the things that I want you to address, it's kind of an insider question from the songwriting world of Nashville. But there are songwriters that I've met with over the years that I've actually written with that are so caught up in the formula for radio-worthy songs. And it's almost like they sell their souls because they just keep stamping out these hits and we're all envious. Oh, yeah, they had another number one. Oh, yeah, they had another number 10. But when you have a conversation with them over breakfast, over a cup of coffee, wherever the case may be, they seldom have a deep conversation about life like you and I have always had. Yeah. And so what right. you're saying is that you're not trying to sell your soul to to make a buck or get some radio play. You want to write songs that that influence the world, that change the world that are timeless. So regardless if the song is recorded the second you release it, the second somebody puts it on hold as in everything's going to be all right or if they wait a year plus 
to record it, you know it's still that one of those those magical, meaningful songs that is worth writing regardless if it's ever recorded. So teach us as songwriters. Let's just, you know, obviously there's a few songwriters who always tap into my show every week. From a songwriter's perspective, what would you what would you challenge songwriters to do? What would you challenge an upcoming songwriter who's figured out the formula, you know, verse, verse, chorus, verse, verse, chorus, bridge, and all the little f- templates? Deeper than that, what would you what would you teach songwriters about songwriting that has made you so real and so authentic and, and able to create these timeless messages? I drive your truck will be around for 150 years after you die, brother, because of the message. Yeah, that's that's an amazing thought. Uh, you know, I I think we all write different. We all create different. We all have different goals. Uh, you know, I think to define your goal, what is it you're after? Um, um, I just truly, as a songwriter, I would just tell anybody, whether you're trying to have a bunch of hits or you're trying to, to, to change lives and help people to relate, um, whatever you're trying to do in your songs, I, I just still think that the principle of feeling it so someone else can feel it. Because when they feel it, they relate. And when they relate, a friendship starts. Uh, and they feel like they know you. And when they feel like they know you, then they're going to come back to that well. They're going to want to listen to you. And you can change lives at that point. And uh, I know for me, that's all I can, I can really say is that I truly enjoy that aspect of songwriting. Um, I'm not, if they're looking for a, a song about just sitting in a truck next to a girl trying to find a hayfield somewhere to hang out in all night, that's, I'm not the guy they come to for that song. I don't, uh, I don't have anything against those songs or the guys that write those songs, but those, that's at my stage at 48 years old with three kids that I'm raising in a house that's just loud and wild and a life and me going and my wife going and back and forth and, and my focus on God and family, that's not where my head's at. My head is, is I've been through a lot. I've, I've experienced a lot. I've tried a lot. I've, I've messed up a bunch, and, I've, and I've, I've seen a lot of grace. So to be able to put that stuff into songs and share that with people, that's just my goal. And so that's a well-defined goal for me. I don't wake up wondering what I should write. I know what I'm going to write. And so... But feeling it so other people can feel it, you know. If you just want to write fun songs, just make sure you're having the time of your life. But, but, but feeling it and truly feeling it to the point to where if you uh, trying to make somebody cry, make them ball. If you're trying to make them laugh, make them crack up. If you're trying to make them think, make them really, really think. You know, just go all the way, feel it so they can feel it. And and maybe you know, come up with a theme. Maybe if you know if you're going to have a record, the theme has to have a a thread that runs through it, like the devil led me to Jesus, the devil led me, you know, to college, the devil led me to my junior prom date, the devil, you could have like 13 songs, the devil led me to, and it could be a number one hit. I mean, think of the possibilities, brother. I know. I see, that's, that's absolutely, you're absolutely right. Yeah, the, there's lots of avenues to with all of that. But I'm I'm excited for people to hear these songs. There's some really, uh, some really, uh, it really goes to the heart of how I like to write and the pictures and the images and the, the emotions. So I'm, I'm excited to, to do them and for people to hear them. Well, good. So in the next couple of minutes, I, I, wanted, I want people to understand the significance of bringing in a Jimmy Urie for a corporate event. And that the, 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 the formula, ladies and gentlemen, is 
that regardless of the industry, regardless of the event, when you can bring in a hit songwriter, Jimmy, as good looking as he is, as talented as he is as a performer, as an artist, and have him be able to tell you the story behind the song, it adds a completely different element to your corporate event. And remember what Trish Yearwood reminds all of us, the song remembers when. So, Jimmy, let yeah. us know, let, let my listeners know how they can get a hold of you for corporate gigs. I, I want them to know they can contact me if they want, but I'm not your agent. How can they directly download your songs? How can they directly join your tribe if you have any way? You know, I mean, you should be selling like autographed pictures for like 400 bucks a piece or something. You know, autograph <laughs> a guitar and auction it off on eBay for a couple of grand. Come well, on, man. Thank I should- you, but... Uh- you know, I've been doing a lot of the uh, the corporate gigs lately, and the and the speaking, and and mixing those principles that with that uh, in with the stories, and 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 singing those songs, and interacting with uh, with people. I love to do that. I've always that's always been a glove that fits me really well. And 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 they can go to JimmyYeary dot com. We've got a website set up that talks more about that and 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 gives them a way to uh, direct them to how they can reach me and set that sort of thing up. And I love doing that. I'm very passionate about it. And and any opportunity to do that, I, I jump at. I love it. And that's Yeary, Y-E-A-R-Y. And, of course, we got to plug the, the Isaacs. Uh, Sonia, I had her on the show. What a beautiful, amazing human being, great mom, and this extraordinary talented singer. So... Go to iTunes, download every song that Jimmy Yeary has ever written, and especially uh, Everything's Gonna Be All Right, number one, and uh, Drive Your Truck, and that Martina McBride uh, song about this lady battling cancer. My gosh, you influenced the world, brother. What was that song called again? I'm going will... to love you through it. Yeah. I wrote that with Sonia about her mother, who is a 35-year breast cancer survivor. My gosh, and that became the entire theme of Martina McBride's new tour that year, if I remember, and she was yeah. able to raise a lot of awareness for breast cancer, and what a great what a great mission you've, you've already had on this earth of ours, Jimmy, and it's an honor to have you as a friend, it's an honor to, to, uh, to, 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 to be your bro, so I'll keep in touch, I want to be invited to your church, I want to get involved in your music life, man, I can't wait to see you, bro. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Dan. I love you, dude. I, I, you, uh, you're a huge inspiration to me, and I, and I, I, uh, I really, I really mean that. I just appreciate all you do. It's, uh, um, I, I, I want to emulate myself. Uh, I want to be like you. I, I read your books and I study you, and I'm just really impressed by you. And you're one of the few men that I really, really just, uh, I look to as a gauge to where I need to be headed. There's such a good human being. Thanks. You bring tears to my eyes. Let's take a break before I bring on my next uh, guest. This is Dan Clark here on voiceamerica.com, the Influencers Channel. My guest has been just amazing hit songwriter, Jimmy Yuri, who influences us through his words and his music. Don't go anywhere. My next guest is Jennifer Napier-Pierce. And she's the editor of the Salt Lake Tribune, Utah's largest daily newspaper and winner of a Pulitzer Prize in 2017. I want to talk to her about the news world, fake news, how do we check the balance of, of our news sources. And she is an extraordinary human being. Don't go anywhere. We'll be back in just a moment.
Change starts here. Change starts now. Join us, the Voice America Influencers Channel. If you're an event meeting planner like me, you have two ongoing challenges. You can't afford to have a speaker who bombs. And when you do have an amazing speaker, who in the world do you bring into next year's meeting that will top them? Well, you never have to worry again. Book Dan Clark. Dan Clark is one of the most incredible human beings on the planet. He's been named one of the top 10 speakers in the world. He's known for customizing his speech around your meeting theme. So your people leave with benefits that last a lifetime. Here's the number, 1-800-676-1121. Or just visit danclark.com. Become a member of voiceamerica.com. It's easy and best of all, it's free. Start out by going to our homepage or any of our channels and click register at the top. Once you've created an account and signed in, you can create your own custom library, opt into our newsletter, search by show, host, guest, or topic of interest, or browse millions of hours of content across all of our Voice America radio channels. Membership gets you more. Visit voiceamerica.com today to get started and tailor the listening experience to your taste. Be sure to friend us on Facebook. You can do it right now. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for us at keyword Voice America. You're listening to The Art of Significance featuring your host, Dan Clark. If you want to join in on this week's discussion, give us a call at 1-866-472-5795. Again, that's 1-866-472-5795. Or drop Dan a line via email to danclark at xmission.com. Now back to the Art of Significance. Here again is Dan Clark. Welcome back. As you tuned in earlier, my guest was Grammy Award-winning songwriter Jimmy Yeary, who talks about the influence of music, which begins with the words. And as Trisha Yearwood reminds us, the song always remembers when. And that brings me to my next guest, Jennifer Napier-Pierce. And she's the editor of the Salt Lake Tribune. You listeners know that I do live here in Utah. And the Tribune is Utah's largest daily newspaper. And as I was reading her bio, it said the largest daily newspaper and winner of a Pulitzer Prize in 2017. Interesting, ladies and gentlemen, that off the air, as Jennifer and I first met in just the first few seconds, she wanted to clarify that she was not the winner of the Pulitzer Prize in 2017. Her reporters working at the newspaper had received that amazing high honor. In other words, there is integrity in the news world, ladies and gentlemen. We don't have to (laughs) fear fake news when we check out the sources and the integrity of the sources. Jennifer, I love you already. (laughs) Thank you, Thank you for the invitation. Uh, I, I'm but, just thrilled to be on the show. But what a powerful segue. Prior to your work at the Tribune, Jennifer served as news director, anchor, host, and reporter at both KUER, which is a public radio station, and KCPW. She has received numerous top awards from the Utah Headliners chapter of the Society of Professional Journalists, Utah Bradca- Broadcasters Association Public Radio News Directors Incorporated, Top of the Rockies, and many, many other organizations. She has her master's degree from Stanford University. I could go on and on. I want to find out how in the world you figured out that your calling, a job is boring, a career is just doing the same boring job for a thousand years, and a calling is where you know 
that this is what you're supposed to do. A songwriter, a hit songwriter will tell you, Jennifer, he'll tell the world that he believes his mission in life is to write hit songs. End of discussion. When did you, Jennifer, realize that your calling was to be a journalist, that your job in life, your career and your calling was to illuminate truth and help us understand what we need to believe? Well, it took me a while. I'm not going to lie. You know, um, I, I studied to become an English teacher, so I really thought that that's where my passion and my calling was in life. And I started student teaching, and I did not have a good experience, unfortunately. And so that's sort of set me on um, uh, a journey, an odyssey to find that that you know burning uh, re- uh, resolve where where I wanted to spend my time, um, and you know if if I could make a difference in the world. And so I tried a whole lot of things, and after about seven years, um, I landed in journalism. I took a news writing class at San Francisco State University, and I fell in love with it. And so I went to my hometown newspaper. I was living in the Bay Area at the time. And I said, please, you know, give me a job. And they were like, do you have any experience? I said, no. (laughs) (laughs) So they, um, they took a gamble on me and said, here, you know, here are three assignments. Um, write them on spec, which means for free. And if you do well, um, let's talk again. And I guess I passed the test. So that was my first job working in San Carlos, California. And I just haven't looked back since. I mean, it's just, I, I feel such a, a resolve to um, community service. And I do think that journalism serves such a vital role in our democracy, and I'm committed to it. Um, I have been for almost 20 years now, and I, I work with a team that is just so superb, and they're, they're excellent professionals, and they, they represent all of the attributes that you would want from an ethical reporter. So I, I feel so lucky to be where I am right now. Well, we're lucky to have you. Let me ask you a tough question. So all of us on the outside have heard this cliche so many times. If it bleeds, it leads. How do you, as the editor, how do you determine uh, what stories make the front page and teach us, you know, debunk that that rumor or or clarify that rumor? What is really a headline? Well, certainly, uh, to to go with another cliche, you know, if if it's a dog that bites a man, not news. If it's a man that bites a dog, that is news. Um, obviously, we are looking for things that are unusual, but I would see our, our overriding value when we look at, at how to play stories is really the, the community that we serve. The, and the Salt Lake Tribune is a statewide newspaper serving the citizens of the state of Utah. So we really focus in on local, 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 and try and um, present some information that affects people's real lives. And sometimes that's um, a little bit more lighthearted. Sometimes it's quite serious. Um, when you come to public lands policy or to taxes or things like that. And the real trick for that is to make it as interesting as possible so that people want to read it. They don't just gravitate naturally to uh, the man bites the dog headline. They really are looking for something of substance and information that they can use that can empower them 
to make good decisions as a citizen of the state of Utah. So um, those are the kinds of things that, uh, you know, our editors meet twice a day. And uh, we're, we're talking about our audience, um, their values, what they need to know, and uh, what stories are in the hopper for the day. So uh, it really varies from day to day. We do try and, and add some lightheartedness because the world can become stiflingly serious at times. But we do also really want to, to, to share good, solid information that people can trust. I love it. I love it. I love it. Okay, so Fox is Fox Network is accused of being right side, right wing, right side of the aisle. CNN is being accused of being left wing, left side of the aisle. BBC, in my experience as I travel the world, 65 countries, BBC seems to be the 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 voice of moderation, the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. How as an editor what kind of a conversation would you have twice a day with your editors to influence them to say, okay, we need to report the news and remove all confirmation bias? Is that a possible task that you could accomplish as an editor, or will there always be a little bit of confirmation bias based on the political side or the religious side or the social side of the reporter? What do you think? Teach us. Uh, it, it, it's a tricky question, and I, I think that it – can be an unfair standard for people. I think a lot of people um, misconstrue journalism as objective. And I would argue that's probably not a realistic goal. I don't think that any news organization can be completely removed, completely sanitized, uh, sterilized, whatever you want to call it, and just provide facts. Um, because just in the in the language embedded in each word is nuance, you know. So, uh, but I would say that journalists and uh, especially my editorial team, I will vouch for them uh, till my dying day. Um, there is an attempt to be fair. So even if uh, we present something that is controversial, and even if a reporter may have personal biases. And even if maybe some of that bias will sneak into um, a word choice, I will say that uh, everybody here is very committed to being fair, to showing balance, and um, that can also aggravate people who are being reported on. Uh, Most recently, I had an elected official who was very frustrated with a fact that we put into a story, and um, this person did not want that fact included. Um, This person disputed the veracity of the fact, but we had fact-checked it, and we had also gone to the source and made a lengthy explanation to the reader to say that this is how, this was their methodology for that particular statistic. And again, I mean, we're not supposed to be the mouthpiece for any particular partisan viewpoint or any sort of elected official. We do want to be fair, though, and to offer different sides, different angles to a story. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I do think that there is an expectation of journalists as being objective observers, and I just would argue that's probably not realistic to expect from human beings. I mean, we're not robots, right? Um, exactly. We have... 
we we have personal experiences that influence our day to day living as well. Um, on the other hand, we we don't want to go out there and trumpet how we feel. The story should never be about the reporter. It should be about the issue and as fair and balanced as is humanly possible within time constraints. So listeners, listen, this is a very, very well-respected editor who's teaching us, yes, we can trust the media. There is integrity. There's a checks and balance system. What a great answer. So let me just talk about two other things. Number one, your job as an editor now to take the paper rag world in which I grew up into the digital world, how do you how do you see the, the classic newspaper subscription? How do you take us tr- striving to get our news online versus having a newspaper dropped at our front door? Teach us about that transition and why the Salt Lake Tribune is still wonderful and leading the way. It's, it's a tricky time. I'm not going to lie. I, I would say that subscriptions have declined uh, quite precipitously, particularly over the last decade. Um, it, newspaper is expensive to produce, right? You have to have newsprint. You have to have ink. You have to have a distribution system. All of the infrastructure is really, really pricey, and you have to do it every single day. So <laughs> there can't be a broken cog in the system. Um, wow. On digital, it's a completely different world. You don't have constraints of time and space. You really don't have constraints when it comes to a delivery system. Most people now have access to the Internet. And so um, the financial piece of print journalism has been upended because digital traditionally has been free. and But the news product, the effort that it goes into reporting and editing, that's not free. So you have all of these expenses on the print side, um, but you also have, you had great revenue potential because of uh, the advertising. On the digital side, digital advertising has not really caught up to where print advertising has been. And it also is, um, you still have all the labor costs involved with producing quality, high-quality news. So it's still a very expensive industry. There's not a lot of automation that you can do. Um, This is about people and people who care about a community. And so the economics are just sort of topsy-turvy right now. I, I will say that the Tribune is, is trying to um, make digital pay off, pay for its own uh, uh, coverage. So we, um, in February, we instituted a digital subscription. We think it's a, a very modest amount, um, but it will help cover some costs of the newsroom on the digital side because digital obviously is not free. Um, it takes a lot of server space. Uh, it takes a lot of platform um, revamping all the time. It takes uh, editorial staff, again, to make sure that the stories are fresh and presented as fairly as possible, um, to write those headlines, to, to workshop them on social media. So there are a lot of uh, additional tasks that come with digital, and we just need to make sure that digital is paying for itself. Okay, so my listeners, you know, a million and a half across the world, 21 countries, lots of military, anyone listening with Utah roots needs to immediately sign up and start paying the subscription to the Salt Lake Tribune, so you're, you're in the know. Now that you know the Tribune is an integral 
paper that you can trust the editor, Her Majesty Jennifer Napier Pierce. How how do we get people across the world to go online and just subscribe? That they just type in the Salt Lake Tribune, and then there's a subscription opportunity. And they can start paying their their monthly. That's right. Uh, SLTrib.com is our URL, and it's in the right hand uh, corner. It just says subscribe. It's pretty darn easy. Um, again, though, I mean, really what it is is putting a price, a value on the information that you get. If the Tribune, if, you know, Utah-centric news is what you trust, if you want an independent voice in the state of Utah, um, it does help to support it. I mean, it, you, you get what you pay for. And we do think that um, our nominal mon- monthly fee of seven ninety nine a month is is worth every penny because you do That's get a one- lot of u- news and information analysis, uh, opinions, uh, commentary, all all of the things that you want to know about a a particular place. You get that at the Solid Tribune, and so um, again, I, I my reporters are worth it. I think that my Absolutely. editorial writers are worth it. Just having a public marketplace of ideas like the Tribune is worth it. And seven bucks. I mean, that's one cup of coffee at Starbucks. Come I on. Know. I mean, people I know. need to start thinking about it. You know, I'm I'm a fan of public television, and I mm-hmm. consume that station all over the world. I can I consume their material, and when it comes time for them to have their their campaign, it's almost it's definitely irreverent, but it's almost immoral not to send in a donation so that you can benefit instead of taking a free ride from everyone else. Let's support the Salt Lake Tribune. Okay, last question, my friend. There's so many yeah. I want to ask you. You got a promise on the air that you'll come back again and again, but here's my question. Okay. Who? Maybe it's a two-part question. Think back on someone in your life that inspires, that inspired you or inspires you right now as your favorite journalist, male or female. And this is the qualifier, my friend. I've been a professional speaker now for 35 years, and I publicly pronounce the fact, my observation, that a man can only be a role model to a man, but a woman can be a role model to both a man and a woman. And that's why I'm such a fan, a huge fan of women in business. That's why it's an honor to have you on my show and to know that you're running the show down there at the Tribune. So the two questions, who has influenced you the most as a journalist, past or present, current? And can you think of one story in your lifetime, you sound so blooming young, but in your lifetime that you think (laughs) changed our our world changed our country or maybe even more specifically changed our state of Utah. So those are the two questions. One person that blew your mind that influences you to this day because of what she or he taught you. And one story that you think is so monumental, it literally, when you reported it, when someone that you knew reported it, when a newspaper reported it, it literally, you know, helped us mold our mindset in a community to change our, our world forever. Oh gosh, these are these are tall questions. Um, I'll take your first one first. Uh, an influencer for me. Um, I spent the bulk of my career in in radio, so I would say um, a radio giant for me was Nina Totenberg. She works for National Public Radio, and she reports on the Supreme Court. And her um, her ability to describe 
complex legal opinions, I thought was second to none. And I still believe that she's still going. Um, in fact, I, ha- I had the luck to have dinner with her last weekend. And she is uh, just a, a force. You know, she's just this amazing person who has a wealth of knowledge that's goes back decades when it comes to the Supreme Court. You can ask her about particular cases, and she remembers um, the circumstance around it. Um, For me, if I have a a lengthy career like that in journalism, I will be very, very uh, pleased with my performance because I want to be able to to draw upon um, decades of experience and to share that with people and say, uh, here's some institutional knowledge that you may not know about this particular case candidate or, um, you know, 30 years ago, this is what Salt Lake City government looked like. Now uh, we're, we're looking at changing it in this particular way. And how will that affect your pocketbook? So um, to have that sort of breadth and depth, I think is just so terrific. So I would say Nina Totenberg from NPR. Um, the one story, and I guess it's a series of stories, I'm going to tout my colleagues who won the Pulitzer Prize um, in 2017. They did a series of stories on campus sexual assault here in Utah on several campuses, and um, their reporting directly affected individual lives. It also changed institutional policies at uh, several colleges. It started a whole wave of conversations about how we can um, how we can treat survivors of sexual assault and how we can respect them. And um, I think it was a precursor, actually, to this whole Me Too movement. And so uh, for us at this paper, it, that was a very, very meaningful series of stories. And I do think it's changed the state of Utah forever. So I I applaud my colleagues who worked so very hard for many, many months. And we're still, as an institution at the Tribune, we're still in litigation over a couple of (laughs) uh, public records uh, requests. Um, Institutions do not want to give up some of these records. And we're going to keep fighting for them because, again, I do think it empowers our citizenry and makes our community more livable and a better place. Absolutely. I sure appreciate you so much. So we have time for one final question, just a couple of minutes. So with the accusation of fake news, uh, I think, I mean, let me put you on the hot seat. I don't think you'll, you'll, you'll deny me on this question, but it doesn't matter if you're Republican, a Democrat, an independent. It doesn't matter if you live in, in Timbuktu. You can say what you want to say about President Trump, but I think we will all agree that he has to be one of the worst communicators on the planet. So from a journalist's perspective, especially to all Republicans and all Democrats, the interesting thing about Trump as I analyze him as a, as a closet political scientist, when he doesn't get his way, he doesn't just wail on the Democrats, he wails on the Republicans, he wails on everybody. Sure. So from a, from a journalist perspective, without any political bias, I know, what, what recommendation would you give someone like Trump, anyone who's in that high visible office of, of influence in any state, governor, uh, attorney general, it doesn't matter what the calling is, when you're that visible in the community as a politician, as an influencer, give us 
advice in the last 60 seconds on what is the secret to effective communication? And hopefully President Trump is obviously listening to my show because I'm so damn important. <laughs> I would say listening is the key. And um, if, if there was one failing, he does not listen to his advisors. He doesn't listen to his uh, inner conscience sometimes. I think he's very trigger happy when it comes to just whatever is on his mind, he tweets out to the world. And that has real effects when you're, you're talking about international relations, when it comes to the stock market, when it comes to uh, tr- real people's lives are at stake. And so I, I do think that um, if I were to give him one tip, um, maybe take a deep breath before pressing send on anything on social media and, and really think it through. Seek advice from counsel. Listen to it. Take it to heart um, because I do think that he has some smart advisors, but he, he is not taking counsel. And so listening is, is truly the hallmark of effective leadership. You've heard it from Jennifer Napier Pierce. She's the editor of the Salt Lake Tribune. Go online, ladies and gentlemen. Go to the right-hand corner of the online presence and subscribe today <laughs> to the Salt Lake Tribune. I, I, I unashamedly say I love you. I honor you, Jennifer, and I've got to have you on my show time and time again. You'll be the voice of reason and the uh, the uh, you know adjunct professor of fake news. I like this. You need to you need to dispel all the rumors. Thank you so much. This is Dan Clark, VoiceAmerica.com, the Influencers Channel. My guests today have been Jimmy Urey, uh, Grammy Award-winning songwriter, followed most appropriately by Jennifer Napier-Pierce, who's one of the most amazing former news directors, anchors, hosts, and reporters on radio, TV. Uh, Sounds like I should retire and just be your agent. I'd make a bloody fortune. Stop it. Dan, it's been an honor and a pleasure, and I would love to come back anytime. If you want to talk news, I'm in. We'll do it. Okay, we'll track you down. Thank you so much. God bless. Keep the military in our prayers, and God bless the leaders of our community, our states, and our countries to make the right decisions. This is Dan Clark. We'll be back on the air next week. Thanks for being part of the show. Be sure to join Dan Clark next Monday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time for another edition of The Art of Significance on the Voice America Influencers Channel. Remember, you too can achieve the level beyond success.